Hello, welcome back. You have made it to episode two of This Is Good For You. I hope you enjoyed our first episode, Learning How to Ride. Now, this episode won't be quite as spicy, but it's still all about the pleasure of learning something just for yourself. I want to remind you that we do have a Patreon to help keep the lights on. That is patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. That's where you can get some fun rewards like monthly playlists curated by me and even drabbles. You know, I'm working here with Multitude to produce this, and I want to let you know that I do own the IP. So all of your support from Patreon, the merch, the tip jar, they go to operations and to me. So if you like this show and want to contribute, please join the community at patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. At the beginning of 2020, you know, I realized that I did not have any habits or any hobbies that I had not monetized. Like everything I love to do, I was incorporating it into my career. I love reading. So now I am judging romance novels. I love watching TV. So now I'm doing cultural criticism about television shows. I like going to the movies. I like watching sexy stuff on screen. And now I'm talking about how the stuff on screen affects my personal life and how it affects American life in general, the way that we look at pop culture and desire. Everything I love has become something that I earn money from. And I was just like, ugh, I just want to be able to sit and enjoy something without thinking, how can I turn this into some money? What can I invoice this for? I was tired of that. And I used to dabble in photography many moons ago, and I am very amateur. I have no idea what aperture, none of that shit is. Like, I know what it is, but it has not stuck in my head. I just grab a camera and say, this is the kind of image that I want to get from this scene. And I take a picture. And then if it looks like that, I'm like, great. And if it doesn't look like that, but it still looks good, I'm like, even better. So I have no idea what I'm doing. I keep saying I'm going to take a class and I have not. Maybe one day. So I said, I am going to get back into photography and it'll also help me learn New York because I'm not super in love with New York City. I know that sounds terrible. Everybody's supposed to love New York, big city of dreams and all that shit. But I'm a Southern girl. I need grass. I need wide open spaces. Shout out to the chicks. I need like a lot of stuff that is not necessarily here in New York City. I love my Brooklyn home. It's great. But also I know that New York is not the last stop for me. But I said, you know, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to go out into New York, learn more about the city. Having the camera will be the best way for me to do that because I can go, I can take pictures, I can walk up on people, just be like, hey, can I take your picture? And I think, you know, a lot of people who live in New York are kind of used to people using them in the backgrounds of photos and shit like that. So I was like, oh, that's going to be easy. So beginning of 2020, I had a little bit of extra money. I was like, okay, let me start collecting cameras again and getting some film and all that stuff. And then the pandemic hit and I was inside taking pictures of my bookshelf. And I was just like, no, this is not going to work. I need I need something more. And I adopted a cat. 
which is something I've been wanting to do since I've been to New York and now was the chance, right? <sighs> there are only so many pictures of this cat that I can take. And she's camera shy. She actually hates the camera. She like bats at it all the time. So I was like, what can I do to occupy myself and not lose my mind while I am stuck at home? And then I remembered I used to cross stitch all the time when I was a little girl and in my teens. Putting needle to cloth was just so soothing. It's kind of a repetitive motion because in cross stitching, what you're doing, you're basically counting out your stitches, right? And you're doing the same kind of stitch over and over and over again to create any kind of image. You can create an image of your pet. You can create an image of your family member. You can create these little samplers with ABCs on it so you can teach your babies how to read, all this good stuff. And so I used to do that. And I love doing that. It was such a I don't want to say a mindless task, but it helped clear my mind, you know, because I was no longer thinking about all the worries of my life. I was no longer thinking about the stresses or whatever. And it's something that I could do while I'm watching TV or kind of watching TV. Like I could have a show in on, in the background or I could have some music that I really like and on in the background while I'm doing this. And it's a very soothing thing. It's something about the repetitive motion of moving the needle over and over again. So I started to get back into needlecraft and into cross-stitching. And then, you know, as I was looking on Instagram for other people who were doing cross-stitch and looking for interesting patterns that I could find, I realized that there were a lot of embroidery artists as well and all kinds of textile artists. Like there's punch needle, which is where you use, it looks like a crochet needle, but you're punching through the fabric and pulling thread through the fabric. There's all kinds of textile artists out there, which is great. And I saw I was looking at that and I saw the embroidery and I was like, hmm, maybe I should look into embroidery. Okay. I got an embroidery kit from this artist and her account is Create the Culture. And she has patterns that are images of Biggie Smalls, Notorious B.I.G., of Beyonce, of Lauryn Hill, of Tupac, images of Black women with wild curly fros and locks and things like that that you don't typically see when you go to Etsy and you're looking for crafts and patterns, right? So I found this embroidery kit that was a woman with this wild curly fro and she had a crown in the middle of her fro. And I was like, oh, that's cute. And it seems pretty simple. It's basically just an outline of this figure, nothing too complicated. And I started working on it and I was like, holy shit, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I got so mad at myself because I'm one of those terrible people who is like, I should be good at everything the first time I do it. I don't want to do anything if it's not good the first time. And I really have to sit with myself and say, no, it's okay to kind of fuck this up this is fine. Just because you know how to cross stitch doesn't mean you're going to be good at embroidery. So I had to kind of like take a step back and figure out how to approach embroidery because embroidery really needs you to pay attention to those small details and to like just slow down, which was helpful. Even though the pandemic had us all slowing down for the most part, it still was just kind of like, okay, this is something that I really need to sit with and just be quiet and figure out the best way to approach it. And that's been really helpful for me. Being able to sit still and just focus on something different outside of what I normally do, which is a lot of writing or preparing for podcasts and things like that. It was a different part of my creative brain. And I really, really, really needed that in that moment of being stuck by myself all alone. In 
in a past life, I used to be a teacher and I worked behind the scenes in academia. And my first teaching job, if you want to call it that, was when I was a teenager and my mom, my mom volunteered me to teach at my church's vacation Bible school. And I had to teach the little kids how to cross stitch. I've kind of blocked most of the experience out of my mind. I have some issues with church and also I just did not enjoy it. I was a teenager. It was like the awkward part of being a teenager. I had these terrible glasses. My haircut was awful. It was actually like the shag situation. There's this old faded picture of me that's kind of curled up in the edges. It's me and I'm standing over the students, showing them how to thread a needle. And I just look ridiculous. I am just elbows and wrists and knees and an awful haircut and terrible, terrible, thick, cheap plastic glasses that we would buy from the grocery store. We didn't have a lot of money. So I just was looking like somebody's Aunt Mildred when I was 14 years old and it was hell. Anyway, so I was teaching and I did not enjoy it, but I liked cross-stitching because it is something that my mom taught me when I was much younger. I think maybe I was about seven or eight when she decided to teach me, but I had been watching her do that for a long time before that. I remember maybe I was about five or six and my mom was cross-stitching on the couch and she asked me if I wanted a bookmark and I was like, yeah. And she said, well, do you want your name on it? And I said, yeah, of course, because I've always loved my own name. (laughs) She wrote my name on a bookmark um, using cross-stitch in purple thread. And I was just fascinated. I just sat there and watched her as my name came across this kind of beigey fabric and she put purple thread around the edges of the bookmark. I love that thing. I kind of want to ask her to cross-stitch me another bookmark. And as a matter of fact, when I went back home to Nashville for Thanksgiving break, I actually talked to her about that. I can't remember. I can't remember that either. Do you still have the bookmark? I do. Oh, It's it's in storage um, in L.A. somewhere, but I still have it. That's when I remember you showing me how to cross stitch. Cross stitch. Because I was like, what are you doing? And you show, but do you remember when you first started cross stitch and who taught you? Yes. When I started cross stitching, you were just an infant because I had began this new job when you were like three months old. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the other employees were cross-stitching. Mm-hmm. So I asked them if uh, they would show me how to cross-stitch. Now, and what, what kind of job was this? Where was this? Well, I was still nursing, a dialysis nurse. Okay. And so they showed me how to cross-stitch, and I got some books and bought three because it's an inexpensive hobby, mm-hmm. but it just depends on, you know, like any hobby, what you're going to do and how the pro- how big the project is going to be and all of that. But I would do little small things like the bookmarks. And then I had made some other pieces for my mother, my grandmother. I cross-stitched a picture of dogs for my aunt. I remember and, that. Yeah. 
So uh, I love the cross stitching. I just haven't, you know, the last few years I haven't done it because I really haven't had the time. But it's a very relaxing hobby, Mm -hmm. you know, and it will take your mind off of your troubles if you have any because you have to focus on the project that you're doing. And um, I just I liked it, you know. Okay, so when you were... Um, so I was about 20, maybe, let's see, how old were you? Let's you see, when I had eight, you, I was about 25? No, you were 23. 23? Yes, okay. don't try. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so you were a nurse at the dialysis clinic and your other colleagues were cross-stitching. Why yes. were they cross-stitching at work? <laughs> <laughs> well... I'm really not going to say what I want to say. Just say it. Just say it. This is 40 years ago. No, but still, um, I worked with a lot of white nurses. Mm -hmm. And um, they would sit on the floor and they would be cross-stitching. And the patients wouldn't call them to come to help them, you know, if they were feeling sick or something, they would always call the black nurses because none of the black nurses did the cross-stitching. So, you know, anytime you want something stopped in the workplace or (laughs) just just let somebody black start doing it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and changes will come about. So I was interested in it, but I didn't think it was fair that, you know, the patients would tell you, well, she's busy. Okay. You know, I'm over here. I'm busy too with somebody else, Mm -hmm. you know. So I didn't, uh, really do anything. I never cross stitched on the, uh, well, I did do a little cross stitching on the floor, but not a whole lot. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I did enough for it to be stopped. Mm -hmm. And when they saw me doing it and the patient started complaining when I started doing it, well, she's over there doing that sewing or whatever. And so when we had a meeting and they told us if we wanted to do it, we had to do it on our breaks off the floor. We Mm. couldn't do it out on the floor. So. Okay. Okay. So the um, needle craft as resistance, that's kind of what I've been thinking about mm-hmm. lately. And for you to tell me the story of how you kind of started it mm-hmm. for workplace equality, mm-hmm. um, because yes. um, that's really interesting. And it just kind of blends into that. So, yeah. wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. But that's exactly why I started doing it, mm-hmm. you know, it's because... They would be cross stitching, mm-hmm. you know, and the patients wouldn't call them if they needed help. They would call the black nurses, mm-hmm. you know, and all the other black nurses, they would just grumble and complain. But I said, okay, I said, I know how to stop this. Mm-hmm. But like I said before, I, you know, I was uh, one of the black nurses, mm-hmm. you know, like anything, they used to not have a, a lot of black nurses in that then dialysis people. Mm-hmm. But now it's a lot of them in there. Okay. But 
do you know I don't have to tell you not to say yes I'm not gonna name the clinic <laughs> I don't think you even named them um, I, I, did, I, I did. No, I'm not going to say the name. But so. uh, that's uh, exactly what you do. And just, you know, it's still like that now, really. Mm-hmm. In the workplace, if it's something that you won't stop or you want to try to get it, just let somebody black start doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they'll look at that, you know, and say, okay, well, if they're doing it, then they need to be working. That's not mm-hmm. part of their job description, you know, okay. to do such and such. I know you work in certain uh, jobs and stuff, just like the yeah. issue. It's all about control. With what does your hairstyle got to do with you working? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Right. Nothing. <laughs> Yeah, because I used to, when I started wearing my hair natural and I would go on job interviews, I would slick it back into Mm -hmm. a bun so they wouldn't be able to tell how, yeah. yeah. Or I would put on a straight wig. And then once I got the job, I would Mm -hmm. come in with my hair, Mm -hmm. you know, and they couldn't do nothing. I don't know if it offends them or what when you come in with uh, braids and mm-hmm. you know and stuff like that cuz i i've been noticing lately on the news programs i've seen more black women with uh natural hairstyles mm-hmm. and you didn't you didn't ever see that before not even during the 60s and mm-hmm. you know 70s when everybody was protesting and all that stuff nobody ever had an afro yeah on the news if you saw somebody black yeah but even now you still see a lot of women still wear straight hair mhm Okay, I think that's it. I just wanted to know how you started cross-stitching and then you showed me how to do it. Well, thank you, Mama, for uh, talking to me about cross-stitching. This is Good For You. It's sponsored by Dipsy Stories. Listen. Just because you're a grown-up now, that doesn't mean you've outgrown bedtime stories. Whether you want a story to turn you on or wind you down for better sleep, Dipsy helps you get in touch with yourself with some extra sweet dreams. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. Each Dipsy story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios, so you feel like you're right there. You can find stories about a costume party that takes things to the next level, or maybe a story where your partner tells you exactly what to do, or you try a new toy together. Dipsy releases new stories every week, so there's always more to explore, no matter who you are or what you're into. Dipsy also has wellness sessions to help you learn more about yourself, and bedtime stories and soundscapes to help you relax before you fall asleep. And for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash thisisgood. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash thisisgood. One more time, that's dipsystories.com slash thisisgood. We're also sponsored by Encyclopedia Womanica. For too long, history lessons have glossed over the truly essential contributions women have made to history. 
That's where Encyclopedia Womanica comes in. This podcast from Wonder Media Network aims to change the narrative by introducing the groundbreaking women from antiquity to today who have shaped our society. This month, Encyclopedia Womanica is highlighting journalists. Every weekday, host Jenny Kaplan dives into the trials, tragedies, and triumphs of this diverse group of reporters. Learn about women like Katherine Graham and Alice Dunnigan who shattered gender norms and racial barriers in pursuit of a story. The bite-sized episodes pack painstakingly researched content into fun, entertaining, and addictive daily adventures. You may or may not already know these women, but you definitely should. Subscribe to Encyclopedia Womanica wherever you get your podcasts. When I started looking into getting more art for my apartment, I remembered the cross-stitch designs my mom would have framed and give away to my aunts for their birthday presents or Christmas presents, all of that stuff. So I started looking for fiber artists that I could buy pieces from as well. Shannon Downey, aka Badass Cross-Stitch, kept coming up in my searches. Her work was modern, fresh, and full of cursing. I loved it. As I got back into cross-stitching and realized I wanted to highlight needlecraft artists, I knew I had to reach out to her to find out more about why she loves needlework and why she uses it to smash the patriarchy. My name is Shannon Downey, but most people know me as Badass Cross-Stitch. I am an artist, activist, craftivist. When I started to think about this episode, you were one of the first people that I thought of that I would want to interview. So I'm glad that you were able to take the time to join me today. Thank you. I'm totally flattered. Thank you. <laughs> so let's just start with some basics. When did you realize that that you could do more with this craft, that it wasn't just for yourself, that it could go beyond you? Yeah. Well, it was interesting because like early on, I've sort of given the word craftivist and told that that's what I was. And I was like, well, that's interesting. I've never heard this word before and sort of started diving into it and feeling like, okay, I see, you know, sort of why people are putting this label on me, but also just wasn't like super connected to how some other craftivists like talk about it. So it was like, well, I'm on the fence as to how I feel about this identity, given the current context and definition, and then decided like, no, I'm definitely a craftivist. I like this. I just want to expand the definition and usage of this movement. And so I think the first time where I saw the larger impact it could have was um, I, I was processing gun violence for myself. I had a bullet come through my bedroom window in Chicago while I was sleeping and Um, we're all good. (laughs) It was just terrifying. No big deal. (laughs) Um, You know, but I was like, I was around gun violence quite a bit and it was a time of like mass shootings and whatever. And so I spent one day logging how many times I like heard, read, said, encountered the word gun in a day. And at the end of the day, it was 72 times. And I was like, well, no wonder this is so freaking overwhelming for me. And that's just me. And so that night, I stitched a gun and I had never stitched an object like that before. And once I stitched it, you know, you put it on Instagram because it's not real if it's not on Instagram. (laughs) Folks were like, 
I want to do that too. Like I want to use this as an opportunity to process how I'm feeling about gun violence and you know what can be done about it and whatever. And so I made a pattern and I put it out there. And then everybody was stitching guns and like tagging me in it. And I was like, well, this is not working the way I thought it would. (laughs) 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 I was like, well, what are you guys going to do with those? And they're like, well, I don't know. We're just stitching them. And I'm like, well, will you send them to me? I'll do something with them. I don't know why. I don't have a plan yet. But folks were like, okay. So then I started receiving like hundreds of fiber guns in the mail. And I was like, oh man, now I have to do something. So I decided to turn it into a craftivist community project to see like, what can I do with this, these objects um, that can actually have a substantive impact on gun violence in Chicago. And so I partnered with a local nonprofit called Project Fire, and they work with young people who are victims of gun violence in Chicago. They teach them glass blowing as both art therapy and entrepreneurship. They get like wraparound services. It's an amazing program. And I was like, well, let's see if we can fund your next semester with this project. And so asked people to send me the guns, got permission to sell them. We collaborated, had a huge art show in Chicago. We sold all of them and raised over $5,000 and funded the next semester of Project Fire. And so like that was like a rapid turnaround, sort of like quick, didn't plan it. You know, it just sort of was reactive but it it demonstrated to me the like tangible impact that could come out of this work and out of projects if they're crafted in a way that is outcome driven. Wow, that's amazing. I can't believe that everyone started tagging you in guns when you were kind of trying to get away from guns, number one, but also that you were able to flip it and turn it into something so beautiful and for community use. I love that. Yeah. I mean, for me, this is a tool, right? Like embroidery is a tool of my community organizing. And so it has become this absolutely delightfully unexpected way to get folks together in community to have difficult conversations. It has been a tool for getting folks to explore their own voice and getting comfortable with you know, speaking up and speaking out. It's been a way to get people to take action in ways that maybe they haven't before. Like I try to find ways to push folks to get out of their comfort zones and use art and use such an unexpected medium for for dissent. And so the making piece of it is for me like a tool in service to the larger community building that I do. Yeah. On your website, you talk about your work is meant to disrupt the medium of needle art. Can you talk more about that? Can you explain what you mean by disrupting the medium? Yeah, I think, I mean, when we think of embroidery, needlecraft, cross-stitch, like, I, I still think there's these notions of like, almost like a demeaning, like, oh, that's real sweet and home sweet home and Bible verses and puppies and babies, it's always sort of looked at as something that, you know, oh, Graham made us yet another (laughs) needlepoint for our house, right? Mm -hmm. And one, I think that's super insulting because of the artistry and work that goes into these. But I think that using the medium in a way that is unexpected in order to evolve it 
from the perception of like, what is this medium and how does it correlate with women, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a domestic act and therefore it's messages of home sweet home and Bibles and, and whatnot. And to say like, it might have been then, and that was a really cool way that y'all figured out to subjugate us. But like, guess what? We're taking it back. We're using it to find our voice and to share our voice and our messages. And you can't diminish the history of this medium. And you can't make it less than what it is, which is art. And so in reframing it and in recontextualizing it, I hope that I'm doing justice to the history of it and, you know, helping people rethink their connection to the pieces that existed in their family or, you know, that their ancestors created of these art objects with, you know, seeing the evolution of it to today where we can use it as a tool for articulating our voice, our stories, like what matters to us in a way that maybe was not allowed or accessible to our ancestors. Right. You know, I think a lot of times people see something that is domestic and or women led and they automatically think, oh, it's nothing or it's less than, um, particularly when it comes to putting a price point on it. Right. Where it's like, no, this is years of expertise. This takes hours of my day, all those kind of stuff. So a lot of this work is often diminished. And so it seems like what you're doing is magnifying the craft that goes into so much of fiber art. So that's another thing that I really appreciate about what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's sort of on the higher end of my priorities is is to really ask people to respect the medium and ask people to respect that this is both art and craft and that it takes skill and it takes years of skill and that every design, every word, every stitch is created by somebody through their artistic genius, you know, because it, it doesn't have a history of class, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. This is like anybody could do this, like all girls learned. And therefore, you know, it was somehow less than more inaccessible mediums, which again, so now we're talking like classism, capitalism, and patriarchy. And it's just like, all right, y'all, do you not see this? Like, can we catch up now? And can we, can we liberate this medium from all of that bullshit? Yeah. You know, I think about when you're talking about ancestors, um, the ways that women have built family histories into quilts. Um, There's also lore that a lot of freed slaves or slaves that were trying to become free would, you know, sew messages into their clothes and into quilts and other blankets and things like that. So it's not just, oh, here's something you can do because I need this hole in my sock darned or something, right? It's about... It's about a legacy, kind of, what these people are passing down, what they have been trying to tell us about ourselves and our history. And so when we get to this point in 2020 where we're saying, fuck Donald Trump through cross-stitch or fuck the patriarchy through embroidery, this is a continuation of a very long legacy. Yeah, this goes back to the beginning of time. And now, like, we have the latitude to be 
more free and more vocal and more open about how directly we communicate these things. And I feel a great responsibility to leverage that freedom that I have been gifted from generations and generations and generations of women who have been working so hard to get it to the place where I can stitch fuck Donald Trump onto a vintage napkin and sell it for $400. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... We're going to wrap up, but I wonder if you could tell me, if you could give me three things that make what you do, like what's the best part of your work? What is it about what you do that makes you happy? Humans make me happy. So being able to find a way to connect with other people, it just is joyful. I think using a medium that was originally used to sort of subjugate women as a tool of resistance is nothing but joyful. And like seeing other adult women connect with each other and like come through a workshop and feel like they actually just made a friend or 10. You know, I see people exchanging phone numbers and exchanging Instagrams and then like hanging out later and like creating these little stitching groups and That is miraculous to me because I I think it is very hard to connect with other adults at some point and to be able to create spaces where that is happening just fills my heart. I love that. Where can we find you on the Internet? On the internet, I'm everywhere. Um, My my website is badasscrossstitch.com. On Instagram, I am badasscrossstitch. And then my like RV life, which I'm telling you, riveting content <laughs> about gray tanks and, you know, black tanks. It's awesome. Is um, Shannon Downey too. And on Twitter, I'm at Shannon Downey. Okay. Shannon, thank you so much. Awesome. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a secret. Did you know that you're allowed to like the things that you like and you don't have to explain yourself to anyone? Your indulgences don't have to be a secret shame. You do not need to write a dissertation about what you enjoy and why for some anonymous panel's ultimate approval. Now, some of the Catholic listeners out there may be familiar with the indulgences from around the 1400s or so as a way of buying your way out of purgatory. Instead of a penance for whatever sin you've committed, you could add a couple of coins to the collection plate and that particular sin has been washed away. But it's 2021 and you can just ask me instead. At the end of each episode, I'm going to give you a recommendation that you can indulge in without fear or judgment. Not too long ago, I watched an animated show on Netflix called Blood of Zeus. Now, the previews will make you think that it's, you know, an adult-sized version of the Disney movie Hercules. But no, sorry, Bob, not at all. It is so violent and gruesome and soapy, and it's filled with mythological demons and a quick little shot of a threesome at one point. I love it. I want you to watch it. It's so good. If you are into Greek mythology and anime, you need to watch this show. So it's about Heron 
who is, you know, maybe like 18, early 20s, something like that. He and his mother are very poor and they live in this town that is covered in darkness and the village people hate them for some reason. And it turns out Heron is the bastard child of Zeus because, you know, Zeus is always fucking and he is always leaving these children, all his little illegitimate children all around the world and they have to go through life not knowing who their father is and then he pops up and he's like, you know what? The reason why you're so strong and everybody hates you is because I'm your father. Don't you love me now? So this is what Blood of Zeus is about. Heron realizes that Zeus is his father and he has to go on this mission to save the world because these mythological demons that were born from this huge battle between Zeus and the Titans and the giants are on the planet and they're trying to convert everybody and they turn everybody into these like hellish zombies. They go around biting people and eviscerating them and like spilling guts everywhere if you don't convert or die. So... That's the main story of Blood of Zeus. Now, you know, if you've read Edith Hamilton's mythology, if you've seen all these different adaptations of various mythological tales, again, you know that Zeus is a chronic cheater and his wife slash sister, Hera, hates it. She can't stand it. So that's all the soapy stuff that we see in Blood of Zeus, where Hera is like, this is the last time you're going to stick your dick in anybody. I'm going to make you pay. Matter of fact, you are no longer Zeus. You are no longer the god of Olympus. I'm kicking you out. So then we see all of her like bruised woman, scorned woman machinations, and she's trying to get back at Zeus. And, you know, the kids are divided. Hermes is trying to help out this way. Apollo is trying to help out this way. Ares is trying to help out Hera. It's, like, really, really good, and it's just delicious. It's kind of like Disney's Hercules, but also Dynasty, and then also, like, Vampire Hunter D, if you're familiar with, like, that kind of old-school anime stuff. The show Blood of Zeus is actually by the same people who did Castlevania on Netflix, So go watch either or both, but I'm talking about Blood of Zeus. So go watch Blood of Zeus first and then you can watch Castlevania. It is incredible. I love it. This has been your indulgence. You have been absolved. This is Good For You is hosted by me, Nicole Perkins, and produced by Multitude. Our lead producer is Eric Silver. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. And our executive producers are Amanda McLaughlin and me. Our theme was created by Don Will. And our art is by Jessica E. Boyd. You can follow the show at This Is Good Pod. And you can follow me at Tennessee Whiskey Woman. That's T-N, whiskey with an E, woman. And a huge thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon. To get exclusive rewards like stickers, monthly playlists curated by me, and even custom drabbles written just for you, join us for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. This was good for me. Was it good for you?